Good morning. Good morning. Thank you all for being here. There are a lot of you this morning. Thank you to my teacher, Galen Roshi, who is in Japan, for her continued guidance and wisdom. Today, I'd like to talk to you about joy. I was drawn to this topic for two main reasons. The first was curiosity about my Dharma name. When we participate in the Jukai ceremony, a ceremony where we receive the precepts, our teacher Galen Roshi gives us a Dharma name, which she then puts on the back of our rakasus in beautiful calligraphy. The first part of my name is Maya, which means luminous night. I love that beautiful image. And the second part is Konraku, which means establishing joy. What does this mean, establishing joy? How do I go about establishing joy? Where do I establish joy? Is it indeed me who establishes it? The second reason for my exploration into joy is that a few months ago, I began to feel out of touch with my own sense of joy. Joy can be juxtaposed with pain or envy or self-doubt or worry. And I seem to be experiencing a little of all of these feelings. These situations when we're feeling very low, full of self-doubt, perhaps envious of others' success or happiness, prompt us to look for joy and therefore to grow. I have been studying how to reconnect with my own sense of joy. There were some common threads I discovered as I explored joy in my practice, in my reading, and in my daily life. Joy is our essential nature. We can all realize it. When we seek happiness, we're actually trying to access our original state of mind. This joyful state of mind is obscured by our obsessing about what we want or don't want, by our incessant craving. Reb Anderson, our founder, states that we are not trying to get joy through our practice. Our practice is joy. We can have confidence in the path we are walking. We can learn to cultivate joy as the seed of joy is within us. It is something we can realize, inherent in every one of us. It is a way of being and understanding that is available to all of us. It is a way of being in the midst of everything that occurs in our lives. So how do we cultivate this seed of joy that is within us? The key elements I discovered are gratitude, compassion, integrity, intention, sympathetic joy, and mindfulness. Let me start with gratitude as I found it to be a clear way of opening my heart to joy. In his Dharma talk about gratitude a few weeks ago, Reverend Royce said that because we inhabit this human body, times of discomfort and suffering arise and give us the opportunity to change and to be grateful for this life. He continued by saying that our world brings with it the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. We can have a sense of gratitude towards everything. These times of sorrow can be opportunities to seek that innate joy within us, to wake up so we can be grateful for these teachers. Gratitude also reminds us that we are all connected. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote, whether we realize it or not, each of us lives eternally in the red. We are everlasting debtors to known and unknown women and men. When we rise in the morning to go into the bathroom and reach for a sponge, when we rise in the morning, we go into the bathroom and reach for a, sp a sponge, which may have been provided for us by a Pacific Islander. 
We reach for soap that is created for us by a European. Then at the table, we drink coffee provided for us by a South American or tea by a Chinese or cocoa by a West African. Before we leave the house, we are already beholden to more than half the world. Taking a moment to be present, to recognize this connection to people known and unknown, fills us with gratitude, which in turn brings joy. I find that stopping being present and grateful for the little delights we can find in that moment brings me gratitude. For me, it is often in nature. It's the beauty and perfection of flowers, the birds singing in the tree, the clouds moving across the sky, the rustle of leaves as the breeze flows through them, the sun shining through the window, or the aroma of cooking a good meal, that first cup of coffee in the morning. Watching my daughter with her little son, remembering to be grateful for this life we are living turns me to joy. Last year, I had a very frustrating travel day. The flight was canceled, I missed my connection, and so was not going to make it to meet my son. He was going through a difficult time, and I wanted to get there on time. I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I had to rent a car for the last leg of the trip to Asheville, as there were no more flights that day. I found a restaurant to have dinner before continuing the trip. When dinner was finished, I asked the server to ha- for the bill, and he informed me that the young couple who had been sitting at the next table had paid for me. They paid for my dinner and left, so I couldn't even thank them. Such generosity. I had not interacted with this couple at all. They must have noticed something in me that said I was having a bad day and decided they would make it better. In an instant, all my worry and frustration disappeared, and I was filled with gratitude. There was space for joy in the midst of my frustration. Ehe Dogen, the founder of Soto Zen, states that, The joyful mind is one of gratefulness and buoyancy. He encourages us to put our energy into the wholeness of life. Living our life wholeheartedly and sincerely is having a joyful mind. When we practice in this way, everything comes to life. This is true joy, not just a fleeting moment of happiness. Helping others with understanding and generosity can lead to a joyful practice. Simply put, being compassionate and kind to each other, remembering that we are all connected, that every moment of care and compassion matters, this brings joy. When I can shift my perspective from myself towards others, from the sadness or pain that I am feeling to compassion, to seeing that others are suffering as well, there is an opening, a space for joy. Recently, I was feeling a distancing from my daughter, which I found very painful but then realized that she was going through her own struggle. As I understood her pain and could bring compassion to the situation, releasing my self-centered thinking, there was relief for both of us. As Zen Buddhists, we are called to live our life with integrity, and this way of living is a foundation for joy. We are called to look at the roots of our thoughts, words, and actions We repent and promise to change those thoughts, words, and actions that are harmful to ourselves and others. This morning, during the beautiful full moon ceremony, we renewed our vows. With these vows, we commit to refraining from harming living beings, from taking what is not freely given, from sexual misconduct, from false and harmful speech, and from harming our bodies. Aspiring to live in this way creates space for joy. Reb Anderson says that, As our understanding deepens, 
we become more and more joyful about practicing virtuous actions that are generous and that we believe will be beneficial. Generosity, one of the six paramitas or heroic practices about which Wade gave a beautiful Dharma talk, is also foundation for joy. Sympathetic joy, empathetic joy, or mudita, is one of the four highest qualities of the heart, one of the four immeasurables, or Rama Viharas, in Tibetan Buddhism. It is basically rejoicing in the well-being of others. Sympathetic joy is a specific dimension of joy, and one which we often experience with our loved ones. When my children are happy, I'm happy. However, sometimes I find it to be unexpectedly difficult. My little grandson is completely in love with my husband. <coughs> when grandpa is in the room, he's the only one that matters. Yeah. Well, this brings my husband great happiness, and I see the beautiful relationship they have, the connection and fun they have together. I'm often surprised by the envy and sadness that I am not the favorite. That little voice that says, what about me? My sympathetic joy is nowhere to be found. <laughs> and where is my generosity? Aha, hello, teacher. Thank you for this opportunity to explore and grow. In her book, Boundless Heart, Christina Feldman shares an 18th century Sinhalese text that can be helpful as it describes this appreciative, sympathetic joy. How wonderful you are in your being. I delight you are here. I take joy in your good fortune. May your happiness continue. This sentiment of empathetic joy can be extended to ourselves as well as we deal with difficult times or emotions, especially when we are feeling that we're not good enough. How wonderful I am in my being. I delight I am here. I take joy in my good fortune. May my happiness continue. We can focus and rejoice in the kindness and virtue of others. One of my practices in the past few weeks has been to notice small acts of kindness, of generosity each day, showing how we are all connected. I find that being here at the Zen Center helps me in my practice of sympathetic joy, especially during long retreats when there are many opportunities to witness how the members of the community, the Sangha, show caring and support for each other. Setting our intention is important as we cultivate joy. As I read to prepare for this talk, I came across a Chinese proverb that says, if we keep a green bough alive in our hearts, the singing bird will arrive. If we keep a green bough alive in our hearts, the singing bird will arrive. In her book, Boundless Heart, Christina Feldman says, we wake up each morning invited to choose where we will make our home in resentment or appreciation, in generosity or withholding, in joy or bitterness. We decide what we will do with our attention. This does not mean that we ignore the difficult aspects of our lives, but rather that we attend to them with compassion and kindness. We remember that these are the times when we learn that there is a balance between joy and sadness, difficulty and ease. When we are in pain, we look for joy. We make room for joy. So much depends on where we put our attention, on our ability to reframe our situations positively. When you set an intention for joy, you're not making joy happen, but rather allowing the space for it to happen. We can incline our mind toward joy. 
The more we practice, the more we choose actions that align us with our intention for joy. When we're in a difficult situation, we do not have to wait for it to end to experience joy. Our inclination towards joy helps to ease the pain we are experiencing. We can discover that joy is not so far away. As I prepared for this talk, I returned to a poet named Ross Gay and his book of delight. In 2016, he decided to look for and document the delight for each day of the year. Since then, he's written a second book, The Book of More Delights, <laughs> as he decided to continue the practice. Roske mentions that his daily practice of looking for what he calls delights created a delight radar, that the more he looked for these daily delights, the more they appeared, or rather, the more he noticed them. He says, the more you study delight, the more delight there is to study. These delights pop up and ask to be noticed. In defining delight, he says that delight is more occasional, whereas joy is more ever-present and waiting. It is always there. He describes delights as little bells, little reminders that joy is there, just waiting for us to connect with it. We can all do this, set an intention to find the delights in our lives, to pay attention. I have started doing this practice and find that it's usually the little things, once again, often in nature, that I find delightful. Flowers most definitely delight me, which leads me to read one of his short essays to you. I'm a retired elementary school teacher, and I really miss reading to my students, so <laughs> humor me. <laughs> the irrepressible, the irrepressible, the gratitudes. I'm talking about this amaranth plant I see growing in the thumb-thick cracks in the asphalt beneath a chain-link fence with three strands with barbed wire strung atop that, just in case, I guess. It looks like it's escaped from a planting of the stuff in a barrel planter behind the chain link and barbed wire. The plant plants are lush with green foliage and pinkish conical flowers. Some are perfectly erect. Some bow their heads like they're listening or like they're looking back for someone waiting on them. Come on, they seem to whisper when the breeze blows through them. Their bodies against a fence, their candles. They're also visited, we can see since we're very close now, by honeybees, recently added to the endangered species list. So close are we that we can see that each flower, as is so often the case, is actually many flowers. A few bumblebees. Is the name because they bumble? If so, it's a misnomer, giving these things crawl elegantly on the flower clusters, reminding me of Philippe Petit of Man on the Wire fame. Or, more sweetly, more to the point, a baby's hand wrapping around my finger, which, right now in my life, there's a child named Ari, whose hand wraps my finger when I put it in her little palm, and she, taught as, and she totters across the room, which is one of the delights. My dad was an irrepressible know-it-all, which sometimes could be a delight, sometimes not. And one of his delightful facts was that a bumblebee, misnomer ballerina bee, was an impossibility. Too much mass, too teeny of wings. Once he said it as one buzzed right by us. That's impossible, he said, smiling. If you get closer to the amaranth, you'll notice in the lighter colored flowers, the reddish fiery pink sort of fading to a lavender, that the flowers are giving way to the seeds, of which on every flower, the bees know this, the honey and ballerinas and the many I can't see. By my estimation, there are a zillion, a zillion seeds on every flower, I'm saying. 
maybe 100 flowers, meaning check my math here, 100 zillion seeds, meaning keep your calculators out, 100 zillion future plants on every one of which, how many flowers, how many seeds, some of which are now in a paper bag in my pocket. Thank you very much. (laughs) This is what I think exponential growth actually means. This is why I study gratitude or what I mean when I say it from a crack in the street. And those are uh, hanging amaranth flowers on the altar. And if you look closely, they are teeny tiny seeds. I have also started the practice of noticing the many times people stop to help others. For example, my dinner experience when strangers treated me to dinner. Or someone helping an older person pick up a heavy suitcase to put it in the overhead bin on an airplane. Picking up someone's keys when they are dropped. Opening a door for someone to go first. Holding the elevator door for someone to enter. A car letting another go in front when there's a lot of traffic. A friend calling because they realized that you were sad. A fresh cup of coffee made for you in the morning. People stopping to bow to each other here at the Zen Center. Words of encouragement. A look of understanding and solidarity. Start noticing these kindnesses and you'll see that they're everywhere. These kindnesses bring me joy. Mindfulness and being present plays an important role in our exploration of joy. Joy often takes us by surprise, born of the simplest experiences. Being still, being in the present moment as we sit in zazen prepares us to pay attention and notice those joyful moments when they arise, as well as to cultivate how to find them when they're less obvious. I think sitting in meditation helps to create space. But we can also endeavor to be mindful in everything we do to pay attention. As we were leaving a five-day sashin or retreat a couple of years ago, Rev Anderson reminded us emphatically, remember stillness. The stillness we have during sashin as we sit in zazen, work and eat together in silence, opens a space for joy. As we go about our lives, it is important to have the discipline to create the space, this opening to connect with our joyful state of mind to be attentive and to notice. But also, as Dogen says, this ordinary sitting is itself boundless joy. Before the end of this talk, I'd like to return to flowers because I find them very joyful. I think flowers can be our teachers if we let them. They begin as a seed, transitioning to a seedling, then to mature plant. They bud, open, and flower, sharing their perfect beauty with us, then wither, die, and decay. Impermanence is right there before us as we look at the flower arrangements throughout the week. Sometimes you'll see a flower or two wither and flop over. Their time is done. Here is a poem by Zenke Shibayama, who was the abbot of Nanzenji Monastery in Kyoto. I think this poem beautifully expresses the joyful nature of flowers. A flower does not talk. Silently, a flower blooms. In silence, it falls away. Yet here, Now, at this moment, at this place, the whole of the flower, the whole of the world is blooming. This is the talk of the flower, the truth of the blossom. The glory of eternal life is fully shining here. Just as we take care of the flowering plant and give it our attention so it blooms, to deepen our capacity for joy, we need to take care of it and give it attention. During the happy times, the delightful times, as well as when we sit in the midst of the challenging ones.